Rose. Good morning. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, everyone. Quick leg stretch and take a seat because I don't want to waste a minute with you this morning. In fact, I'm going to start with a question. Are you ready today for part two of the sermon designed not to make you feel good? So if you remember last time, we spoke about the Beatitudes and that joy is an inside job. And nothing I said was designed to make you happier. You're all looking at me like, what? She doesn't want us to sit here happier? Bear with me here. What I'm going to do is give you a really quick recap of last time I was up here. But we're going to go really quick, like Gilmore Girls speed. Anyone here watch the Gilmore Girls before? You're allowed to say yes in church. That's okay. I love the Gilmore Girls. We're going Gilmore Girls speed, okay? So keep up with me. Let's do this. We talked about how many times in life we say to ourselves, I wish I was happier, or if only I was happier. And our personal narrative is full of all of these things that tell us, if only I could or I should be, then I will be happier. We talked about how happiness itself is situational temporary and fleeting. It's very reliant on external factors. And, and, and I propose to you that happiness is really the cheap substitute for joy. On the other hand, joy is inward lasting peace and contentment, and it's connected with spirituality and connection with God. Psychotherapist Sandra M. Brown says this, joy comes when you make peace with who you are, where you are, why you are, and who you are not with. When you need nothing more than truth and the love of a good God to bring peace, then you have settled into the abiding joy that is not rocked by relationships. It is not rocked by anything. We're gonna unpack that in just a second. But see, the thing is in life, we generally pursue the wrong thing. We want to be happier, but we forget that happiness is fleeting. Instead, we should be pursuing joy because joy can be sustained. And then I dropped this little truth bomb on you all. I said, God likes you to be happy, but he doesn't want to give you happiness. He wants to give you far more better than that. He wants to give you joy because joy can be sustained. Joy is deep and life-giving and unchanging. And where does joy come from? Well, we just talked about joy being connected to spirituality and connection with God. The way to the Father is through who? There, through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and He is the way to the Father. So the way to joy this morning is find Jesus. Find Jesus and you find joy. You see, when you know Him, you discover who you are, who you no longer are. Didn't Julie just talk about this at communion, what Jesus has done for us, who we now are and who we no longer are? Guilt and shame and sin and all those things are not a part of us anymore. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. His inheritance is our inheritance this morning. We're new creations in Him. And then we talked about, well, what does joy have to do with healing hope? Because healing hope is the word God's given us for our church this year. And I was so excited to find that in 1828, yes, almost 200 years ago, Webster's Dictionary defined joy as this, passion or emotion excited by the expectation of something good. That sounds like hope, right? The expectation of something good. So when you set yourself on hope, you're setting yourself on joy. And when you set yourself towards joy, you're increasing your hope. These two work together hand in hand. They're like the fuel to each other's fire because you can't have hope without Jesus. I'm gonna make a full blanket statement. You cannot have real hope, lasting hope, hope that you can go into the trenches with 
without Jesus, because without him, life looks pretty bleak. But then if you find hope, you find joy. And if you find joy, you feed your hope. So this joy that we have, it comes from God. Jesus, it comes from when we get to know Jesus, he places it within us because he makes us these new creations. But then the question is, how do we sustain it? Because like anything God gives us, we've got to work on these things, yeah? We have to keep them fueled in our own life. We have to fan the flame of these things. And so we turn to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. So Jesus went up on a big hill and he started to speak to the people because they came to him. And he talked about the blessed life. Now, this is not the life full of all the stuff that makes me happy because stuff doesn't make you happy. Spoiler alert for any of you, stuff doesn't make us happy. In fact, the blessed life is the life full of joy. It's the life pursuing Jesus. So we unpacked verses one to six last time. I'm going to give you a really quick rundown of them and then we're going to jump into verses seven to 12. I'm a little bit clickety clicky, doesn't want to, there we go. So now I've gone too far. Oh, well, you know what, I'll just read it. If you've got a Bible, Matthew 5. <laughs> All right. Now when the crowd, Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. We talked about these Beatitudes as being like these messages that are kind of like at face value, they don't sound like much that I want to really take on in my life. But when we unpack them, we kind of go, oh, I get that now. So Jesus isn't talking about anybody's bank balance when he says, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. He's talking about you find joy when you see and acknowledge that you have a deep need for God. When our own brokenness of spirit because of sin causes us to mourn and go, oh, God, I need you. That, that is when we find Jesus. That is when we find the kingdom of heaven. That is when God comes to comfort us. He says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Now meekness is strength in disguise. Don't think meekness is just sitting there quietly, not saying anything. Meekness is actually you harnessing in your life the fruits of the spirit. So showing gentleness, humility, self-control, and someone who can keep your inward peace, no matter what happens around you, that is when you will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, Jesus tells us he is the bread of life and that he is living water. So when you hunger and thirst after him, there's plenty of him for all of us. And then some more. He wants us to be filled with him. All right, now we're going to jump into where we haven't been before. So I'm going to read it out for you and then we're going to unpack. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, I know we finished on a downer, but let's go back to verse seven. <laughs> Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. What is Jesus saying here? You find joy when you know the grace and mercy shown to you through the cross of Christ 
and then you extend that same mercy to others. Then more mercy will be shown to you. See, the thing about mercy when you come to meet Jesus and you recognise what he's done is that you feel undone by his mercy. You feel undone by all he has done for you because God knows we need it. We couldn't have done it ourselves. We couldn't have made a way back to know God on our own. And we really deserve the punishment that Jesus took for us. In a couple of weeks, we celebrate Easter and that's what we're celebrating, that his love for us said, I'll take that for you so that you can come freely into the kingdom. I'll pay the price. That's what his mercy does for us. And then when we realize that, he wants us to extend that to others. Now, can we be honest for a second? I don't always find that easy, the second bit. But you know what? It's because sometimes I forget the first bit, how much I needed his mercy first. So when, when I like, have trouble extending that mercy, often God gives me a gentle nudge and says, yeah, but remember when you needed me to show you mercy? And then it makes it so much easier for me to extend it to others. So when we really know and are secure in the mercy extended to us, then we can freely give it to others. Now, mercy is unmerited favour when we don't deserve it. I think that mercy heals and mercy gives us hope for our own shortcomings because believe it or not, this week, at least once, every single person is going to muck up. At least once, yeah? Some of you may be more than once. Me, maybe even more than that. But I'm going to need his mercy this week. But it's new every day. It's new every day, it doesn't run out. So when I know that mercy and I lean into that mercy, I can extend it to others. I love that mercy, it's like God works in cycles. We do one thing and it leads to another, I love that. So mercy is a bit like that. Let's have a look at verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So Jesus is actually saying this, you find joy when your heart is innocent and pure, then you will see God. See, a pure heart is untainted, unmixed, and uncontaminated. It's a heart that has acknowledged and surrendered to Jesus. So those first six Beatitudes are all about acknowledging our need for God, coming to him in surrender, wanting to be more like him. And then he talks about us keeping our hearts pure, another thing we need to do in order to sustain joy. The clean heart has been washed by the blood of Jesus. It's cleansed now, it's undivided, it knows the truth and it is fixed on him. See, in the Psalms, it tells us who can come to where God is. It's he who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's the one who can come to where God is. Now, this word see, they will see God, is a really cool word. In the Passion Bible, Brian Simmons breaks it down. He tells us that in the Aramaic, right, it means present and future tense. So they see God and they will see God. And then in the Greek tense, in the Greek, it means progressively see God. So those with a pure heart, right, are going to see God and will see God. He will continually be there. If every time you look behind you, he's still there. And when you look in front of you, he's still there. And when you look forward to what's coming, he's already there. You keep your heart pure. How do you do that? Like, how do I keep my heart pure? Think like Jesus. I know it's easier said than done, but think like him. Any thought that he thinks about you, think that about you. Any thought that he thinks about other people, think that about other people. Any thought that he thinks about a situation you're facing, think that. 
Think on the things that are good and upright and noble. Think on those things. Don't get bogged down in your news stories. Don't get bogged down into what you might hear on the radio. Think what he thinks. And if you want to know what he thinks, just hang out with him. You hang out with him and he'll start to rub off on you. He's good like that. What did I say here? Something good. As our hearts remain pure, we see more and more of God. That's really what he's saying. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, God's nature is peace, and it's expressed in person form through Jesus. If you look through the stories of things Jesus did when he walked the earth, he, he just absolutely stilled raging seas and storms. All he had to do was say it, and they, they stopped making waves. He just said, peace be still, and it happened. He could walk on waves, for goodness sake. <laughs> that, that speaks to me of peace. He could sleep through storms. That speaks to me of peace. And when you get to know Jesus, you carry his peace. But I want to propose that this is what Jesus was saying. We are not only to enjoy his peace, but as we live in his peace, we are to be givers of his peace. See, outside of these doors, and even for some of you inside this room today, and for some of you watching online, you may not be experiencing the peace that you need to. You may not be experiencing the peace that you know is available to you in Jesus, or you may not know that Jesus can offer you peace. So today is like a light bulb moment and you're going, you're saying I can have peace no matter what I face? Absolutely you can, because Jesus slept through storms. So that assures me he can help me sleep through my storms. He can help give me peace when turmoil is around me. And we can extend that to the people who need it. Because you know what? There are a lot of people in our worlds that don't know hope can be healed. There are a lot of people in our worlds that don't know Jesus can restore. There are a lot of people in our words that, worlds that don't know peace is available to them. And you carry it within you. A few weeks ago, Pastor Matt lit some candles on the stage and he got people to walk around and sit next to people. They were fragrant candles. And he said, when the fragrance of your life starts to spill over, what happens? Other people smell it. When the peace that's in your life starts to dissipate, other people sense it. When you can walk into a room where something's happened that, you know, we all walked into those rooms before, right? You're like, what happened in here before I got here? But you maintaining your peace creates an atmosphere of peace that other people can be a part of. You know, just, I'm remembering that in the Psalms, it talks about us being like these big palm trees that other people can come under and find that shade. You can be that peace shelter for other people. Not because we're wonderful, but because who do we carry in us? Jesus. Jesus' peace is like nothing else. And we know that because he says, my peace I leave you and not like the world gives it. They don't recognise his peace. So no wonder his peace is a marker that we are children of God. The world does not recognise it. You know, you can walk into school tomorrow and, you know, I know stuff happens in little people's worlds. I have a couple of children of my own. Something that happens in their world can set it off like a bomb and people aren't talking to people and friends aren't friends. And that's hard for kids. No more so than an adult who's got a broken relationship with a sibling. You, kids can bring peace. Boys and girls, you can bring peace into your school classrooms. You know, we can bring peace into our workplaces. We can bring peace into the supermarket. The moments that we have with people, they experience something different when we allow it to come out from our lives. Now, this last little bit here, verses 10 to 12, we're going to look at it together for context's sake because I think it needs to be looked at together. 
So I'll read it again. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, it's kind of like the Beatitudes take a turn at this point. Jesus has spent all this time building up this great life that we want. Like, yeah, we're going to follow God. We recognize our need for him. We're going to give mercy to others. We're going to be peacemakers and we're going to, you know, love everybody. And what? They're going to give me a hard time for it. Well, Jesus says, yeah, they will give you a hard time for it. They gave me a hard time for it. They gave everybody who stood up for the kingdom before you a hard time for it. So, sorry, but you won't be exempt. You may get a hard time for what you believe. Persecution is not something we usually get happy about. Can we agree on that? Yeah? Good. All right. I'm speaking to people who are thinking on my wavelength. But I thought about this a little more, right? And this is what I came up with. Persecution perhaps identifies believers with some of the most significant parts of who Jesus was and what he did. Just think about it for a second. He was despised and persecuted and put to death because of what he stood for. He stood for the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus allowed these things because of one thing, the joy that was set before him. Now, what was that joy? Me, you, everybody who ever was and will be, we were the joy that was set before him. So he allowed every form of persecution, every form of defamation, every form of anything they could throw at him, he let it happen because he loved us so very much. So then he says, be encouraged if you're persecuted or you're treated badly. And let me just put it out there. We're living in a Western nation where we still have a lot of religious freedoms and we don't get persecuted like brothers and sisters around the world. A lot of them can't meet openly like we are. A lot, you know, like when, when um, back, back when the Romans ruled, it was horrible. Like people were burned alive for what they believed. Now, we don't face that in our country today, but make no mistake, stuff like that still happens around the world in other countries. So we don't face anything near as much as what some people do for what they believe. But nonetheless, it doesn't diminish our experience. Sometimes stuff's hard. I had family members not come to my wedding because I was a Christian. Now, close family members who you would love to have at your wedding, but they didn't come because I was a Christian. But years later, like I've been married a while, years later, these people are now back in my life. And because of I stood for what was right. I kept following Jesus. And now they're coming under that peace. They're coming under that love because they see, even though you did something that was intended to hurt me and rock my position of faith, it didn't. I still love Jesus and I still love you. So I'm just saying things happen that, that, that because we are being obedient to God or we're standing up for peace or we're extending mercy and love and forgiveness, we could get made fun of. Someone might key our car. Some, I don't know, think of something someone could do to you that would hurt you. Someone might do that. But Jesus says, rejoice anyway. They did it to me. You are likening in a new way with me when this happens to you. So don't we think he has enough grace that's sufficient for us to help us in that situation? Remember, he's already faced anything in life that we will face. So he knows how to deal with persecution. So find great joy like Jesus did. So even in the midst, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. 
Even in the midst of persecution and trials, we can still have joy because joy doesn't come from anything external. Happiness does, but joy doesn't. Joy comes from what Jesus has done inside of us and we are sustaining it by living out these keys in the Beatitudes. So what does this mean for me? Well, last time we spoke about making a decision. Don't chase what is fleeting, pursue joy. If we keep chasing happiness, we're not gonna end in the fruitfulness that the blessed life promises us. If we chase joy, we have a much better chance of landing there. And make no mistake, it's a, it's a choice. It's a daily decision, actually. Some days you just don't feel like doing the right thing. Did I say that out loud? But you're all thinking it sometimes. You wake up and go, oh, not today. <laughs> I have to face them today. I have to face that today. But you can choose to put on joy. We talked about joy starting with coming to Jesus and recognising your need for him. Everything you need in life, I promise you, is tied up in him. Whether it's material possession, whether it's healing, whether it's wholeness, whether it's peace, everything you need is tied up in him. So continually come to Jesus. It's not a one-off deal with him. He doesn't just say, I'll come once and you're good. He wants you to come all the time, all the time. We've got to remember that pursuing joy feeds hope and hope fuels joy. So if you find your hope dwindling, you should have a look at what you're pursuing. Is it joy or happiness? If you find you're not feeling all that joyful, check what you've fixed your hope on. Have, has your gaze dropped a little? Have you stopped looking up at Jesus? These are such easy check markers we can put in place in our own lives. And lastly, we have to remember joy is an inside job. It doesn't come from us, but God places it in us. And then as we do the work of keeping our eyes on him, coming to him, pursuing him, living in the way that the kingdom of God operates, then joy sustains us in life no matter what we face. So why are we spending all this time talking about joy? I've got to be honest with you. I felt completely silly getting up here today because I went, God, I feel like this message is a bit outdated, like it was three or four weeks ago that I was up here and I feel like we've progressed this much in what you're doing in the services, why am I getting up to speak about joy? And you know when you ask God a question, he answers, right? So it made sense to me. So I'm gonna tie the little bow on the end here for you. So I hope it makes a little sense to you as to why we're talking about this today. Firstly, because as we've identified, joy feeds hope and hope feeds joy. And if we truly believe this year that God is healing our hope, in the, inside this room and inside this church, and he's healing our hope inside our communities, then we need to be able to know that joy is a big part of that. Because I've never seen a hopeful person who's really sad all the time. Yeah, common sense. And I've never seen a devastatingly sad person who's full of hope. Joy and hope sustain one another. The other thing is that I really believe this. And as Jesus was speaking life and truth to us about the Beatitudes, as he was unpacking this scripture that we can often just popularize and kind of go, oh yeah, this is like Jesus' most famous words. Let's make a slogan board out of it like Coca-Cola and put it up there. And yeah, they're, they're the things that we know he said, but we don't really get them because he spoke in language we don't really use today, right? I believe what he's doing is unpacking them and then showing us that his voice and his narrative needs to be the loudest one in our lives. And I love that it follows on from what Julie was speaking about last week. Pastor Julie has spoken twice, could be more, but definitely twice this year about 
the world's influence on our mind versus the kingdom's influence on our mind. And she has reminded us every time that we are, while we live in this world, we're not citizens of it. We're citizens of another kingdom, right? If you love Jesus and you follow Jesus, right, your heart belongs to another kingdom. And in that, we have to be listening to the voice of the king in that kingdom. The king in that kingdom is Jesus. So if he's speaking the words in the Beatitudes, they're the words we need to be listening to. So I really believe today is a marker day for any of us who have got the voice of culture dictating to us who we need to be, what we need to be, how we need to be happy. I really believe today he's just going to tear that voice down. I really believe there's a flipping of the script today that where the voice of culture has dictated, God is flipping the script and saying, "Uh uh-uh, no more. My voice is now going to be the voice that you're going to hear louder than any other voice. See, I spoke today about thinking the thoughts that God thinks and every thought that he doesn't think, because let's be real, we all believe lies sometimes, right? But we need to catch them. Any thought that he doesn't think that you're believing, I believe today he's just going to tear it down. Not because of anything else, but his love for us and his goodness to us and his grace and mercy that he extends to us because he knows that in this place, our hearts are, Jesus, we want you. And when our hearts are like that, he comes in and helps us make the room we need in our lives to get rid of the rubbish and have more of him fill our lives. The other thing I believe God was speaking to is that we can look at things like the Beatitudes and use them as our Christian checklist. So we become performance mentality Christians who say, I need to tick all the boxes to make sure I'm being a good little Jesus follower. Am I showing mercy today? Check. Um, Did I um, come to God today and be sorry that I'm a sinner and repent? Um, Check. You know, there are some of us who fall into that mentality of, did I do this today? Am I a good Christian today? And you know what? God's saying, "Uh, uh, uh, uh. I don't want good behavior Christians. I want lovers. I want passionate lovers of me and of my presence because when you passionately love Jesus, you don't need a checklist. Like look at two people who date, right? Do they need to be told to goggle each other with their eyes? Do they need to be told to send multiple texts a day saying, I'm thinking of you, I love you? Do they need to be told to just sneak a hand and put it on their leg or hold a hand or, you know, when they're walking, just brush past each other and make sure you touch them the way? They don't need to be told that because their heart is so moved because they passionately love and care about that person. And you can be like that with Jesus. You can be just dusting at home and go, I'm just going to make sure I swing past the hem of his garment today and touch it while I'm doing it. You can be going about work and saying, I'm going to make sure on the way I don't miss the opportunity on my commute to connect. You need to be a passionate lover of Jesus. That's what the Beatitudes are about. They're about a posture of our heart that says, God, you first. I'm here for you, you first. Because when I pursue you, when I look at Jesus, when I'm a passionate lover of him, then all the other stuff falls into place because I have him as what I'm looking at. You good? All right, good. All right, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray for that now. I'm going to pray and ask God to do that, and then I'm going to hand it back to Julie. So if you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you want to open your hands, open your hands. If you want to sit, stand, you do whatever makes you feeling like you can connect with Jesus. 
Father, I thank you so much this morning that you are here with us. I thank you, Lord, that your word is truth and your word is life. Your word has the ability, God, to, to just divide what is real and what is not, what is truth and what is not, what is spirit and what is flesh. And I thank you that today as your word has been taught, it has been opened up to us, God, that it comes and brings life to us. God, I pray for every person who might be struggling this morning with the voice of culture being louder than the voice of Jesus. And I thank you, Father, this morning that you tell us anything that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of you, we have the ability to tear it down in Jesus' name. So this morning we do. We just say, that's it. We tear down the walls of culture that try to tell us who to be and how to live, what's going to make us happy. God, even our own personal narratives today of what we think is going to help us be happier, God, change it today. Flip the script in our hearts, Jesus. Let the Beatitudes come to life because, Lord, we are pursuing the one who spoke the words. God, I pray that, and I thank you that your sheep hear your voice and they know your voice. So this morning, I thank you that you are tuning our ears to heaven. God, that pure heart, that untainted heart that we talked about keeping is one that is in tune with the voice of heaven. It is in tune with the voice of the King this morning because we are part of a kingdom that is not of this world. The world doesn't understand it, but God, when they meet it, it's everything they needed. So God, this morning, come and be everything we need. Change the narrative in us, God. Make it the Jesus narrative. And God, for any of us that are struggling, God, this morning, we may be having to do all the things and tick off all the boxes. God, just release us from that. You're not looking for performance monkeys. You are not looking for robots. You are looking for passionate lovers. So God, this morning, every single person I pray in this room and watching online, God, that there would be just a fresh love for Jesus ignited in our hearts. Fresh fire would fall, God, and ignite our hearts. God, where we wouldn't be satisfied to tick off a Christian checklist or a have I done this today list. But God, we would be pursuing the one who loves us, the one whose goodness is running after us and continually searches us out no matter where we are. God, I thank you that we would come together every Sunday and we would be passionate pursuing you. And God, then on Monday and Tuesday and through our week, God, we would passionately pursue you at all times in all things, God. Father, I thank you that you just love us so much and you love to be with us. And God, I thank you this morning. I thank you this morning that the reality of who you are is changing us that every day we see new facets of who you are. And in this moment, God, you're revealing yourself even in new ways to each and every one of us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Julie.